that's absolutely appropriate in this time. But I had something that I had been working on, and I just kind of felt like, well, what do I do with this? Do I try to switch gears, and what do I do with this uh, message? Um, and the Lord reminded me of something on my drive down here tonight to service. Uh, Arash and I, when we lived in St. Louis, we did some chaplaincy. Is this okay? Too loud? Is it all right? We did some chaplaincy work for, um, uh, now I'm forgetting everything, Barnes Jewish uh, Hospital in St. Louis. And one thing that we learned, but mostly through observation, doing our hospital chaplaincy, spending time with sick people, spending time with people who lost a family member, a loved one, a friend. And one thing that we had observed was that while it's absolutely necessary and appropriate to recognize grief, that process, and uh, be in that moment, it's also, uh, and that's a way to provide comfort and care. Another form of comfort and care that we can provide for those grieving is a sense of normalcy. And so the Lord reminded me of that and said, the service, this is what he had given, this is what I should continue to move on uh, tonight and bring, rather than worrying about switching gears, because fortunately, the way that our church service is set up on a Sunday night is uh, team teaching. And so the other half of the team teaching tonight covered the side of recognizing our grief, and I guess I'm the half that is going to continue with the normalcy of what a Sunday night service looks like. <clears throat> So I hope that that provides comfort for those tonight. Um, and so we're going to continue, continue with our service. So I wanted to start tonight with um, a little story. A young 24-year-old teacher, newly graduated and looking for her first uh, teaching position. She's married, has a young family, and has finally finished her teaching degree, uh, which has always been a dream of hers since she was young. So she interviews with the school district, you know, that sense of getting that interview and you're like, this is it, this is gonna be the start. Uh, and the school district, you know, couple questions in, you know, she's poised for any question, ready, prepared to like hammer down the hard stuff. Come on, throw anything at me. They ask a couple of questions, they're like, fantastic, you're hired. This is amazing, what luck. You know, she, get, she uh, gets handed this position, they hire her in this school district. So she lands this first job, excited to go home and tell her family members about this. Um, and in the interview, before she leaves, the uh, administrator who had hired her hands her a piece of paper with the address where she is supposed to show up promptly tomorrow. Uh, very immediately that very next morning to start the, her job. So she's excited, a little bit nervous. She carefully picks out her outfit that night, you know, all the accessories that go with it so she looks extra teachery, and barely sleeps out of excitement and anticipation that she might sleep through her alarm. So when she arrives the next day, she looks around, as she gets closer and closer, she's driving to her destination, and she's looking for a school. Do I have the right address? You know, 
Does she have the right address? I'm going back and forth. I, she. She's confused because she assumes she's been given the wrong address because where her directions take her is to a homeless shelter. So after going in, there's, you know, the, the parents seeing the new teacher, knocking on her window as she rolls into the parking lot. You the new teacher? Are you going to teach our children? It's this way, this way. She gets out of her car and she pushes through the crowd to get to a telephone to call uh, her, this administrator in the school district and inquire about this address she's been given and where she should really be. So she thinks it's a mistake and she's told over the phone, oh no, that's no mistake. You have arrived to your first assignment. So the school district and the homeless shelter, what happened here is there's been a partnership to do something about the homeless uh, school population, the children, and their education. They weren't getting an education, they weren't in school. For some reason, there were reasons why the children couldn't be uh, uh, enrolled into local schools. So this was an effort between the school districts and the, the city um, to provide the children education. So there she found herself to teach first grade through sixth grade students all in the same room. And I don't want to say all in the same classroom, because it wasn't a classroom. It was a room. No desks, no chairs, no, no school supplies of any kind. So um, that's quite a, a start to your teaching career, wouldn't you say? So immediately, she's facing all these disappointments. The smile on her face, the excitement she had while she was uh, driving to her first day at school quickly disappeared and she's disgruntled, she's disappointed. She's discouraged by the skepticism, skepticism, sorry about that, of the parents who don't know what to think of such a young teacher. She's only 23, 24. And she's disheartened by the lack of respect from the children that she's supposed to be teaching. You know, bouncing all over the place, yelling, screaming, throwing things, absolute chaos in the classroom. So as you can assume her first week was just a total nightmare. Chaos every day, no help from the school district. She had made a call, or she had personally gone in to the administrator um, that hired her to ask for supplies. Where are the desks? Where are the school supplies? How am I supposed to teach? And he simply says that they can't provide any assistance for her. She'll just have to figure it out. So this program was failing quickly, everyone wanted out, the turnover rate for the teachers they kept sending there was very, very short, um, so there was no real schooling going on anyway. Um, but the turning point for this young teacher was when, out of her disappointment, she remembered why she wanted to teach in the first place. And from there, she decides that no matter what, no matter what she has to face, no matter who she has to teach, she want, wanted to be that teacher she knew she was supposed to be. Her dream since she was a school-aged girl, uh, it's all she wanted to be. She had always loved school. She was always diving into her schoolwork as a child. Um, it helped her to cope with hearing her parents fight at night when she went to bed. She was, you know, school was a nice distraction. And then her plans were derailed when she became pregnant as a teenager 
had to marry young, had to drop out of school until she could get back on her feet and then earn her GED, and then finally this teaching degree that she was so excited to put to use. So there's a moment when she resolves within herself that no matter what, she will be the teacher, she will be a teacher and she will teach whatever classroom she found herself in. So the next thing you know, she sets herself to work at the homeless shelter, begins to build this makeshift classroom into a real classroom with her own personal resources and her own elbow grease. And so the children return to school to a new classroom and a new teacher all in one night. Um, she had made personal, personal changes too. Her demeanor changed, her attitude changed, and she spoke and interacted with the students and the parents and the staff at the homeless shelter in a very different manner than she had in her first weeks of teaching at the shelter school. That's what they called it. So eventually her commitment begins to pay off. You know, this is how the story goes. She touches the lives of the students and their families. And in turn, her experience with her students and the shelter school changed her too. You know, it's always a two-way thing. It changed her idea of what teaching meant and what it was supposed to look like. So I just briefly described a movie called Beyond the Blackboard. Anybody seen it? Um, it's based on the true story of a young teacher's experience in the early 1980s. That's why she was handed paper directions in Salt Lake City, and she had to use a phone in a room. Couldn't put out her cell, pull out her cell phone. Um, so this took place in Salt Lake City. At the end of the movie, they show the pictures of the real um, young woman and her students, um, and it goes on to say how she continued to teach at the shelter school for eight more years. Um, a new school was built because of her dedication, and in 1995, she was awarded the National Jefferson Award for great public service by an individual 35 years and under. And she's still alive today and travels around the country as an inspirational speaker. So tonight what I'd like to do is draw a few lessons, just very simply, from um, her classroom, this young teacher, I think it was Mrs. Bess, Mrs. Bess's classroom, and, and parallel them to serving in the kingdom of God. There are many other scriptures um, that we could mention about being called to serve. The, for example, the, the, the great commandment tells us we're to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we show love, our love for God through showing love for our neighbor. Um, serving others is one way in which a disciple of Christ shares the gospel message, amen? amen? So while it might be accurate that a person who's not a Christian can serve others, the opposite can't be true, according to scripture. We are not truly Christian if we're not serving others. Christian means Christ-like, and Jesus is the ultimate and perfect example of this servant. Jesus reminds his disciples on a few occasions what his purpose, and in turn, their purpose is in Matthew 20, 25 through 28. It says Jesus called them, his disciples together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become, a great, become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be, wants to be first must be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We also have passages in John chapter 13 where Jesus washes the feet of his disciple, his example of being a servant, and settles this dispute that his disciples were having over who is greatest in the kingdom of God? The one who serves. Or Philippians chapter 2, which states how God humbled himself and came to this world not to be served, but to serve, just like we read in the Matthew chapter. But my focus tonight is really not about the Christian call to serve, although it's very important. But this is our, our Newark servant, servantship service. I was having trouble with that too, Desi. I can't get it out. Servantship. There we go. And many of us here tonight, uh, you know, sitting on the pews, have, have lived a life of service already. But I want to talk about, what I want to talk about is how we serve through disappointment, discouragement, and perhaps pain that life brings. When we find ourselves in those anticipated places in life, unfair circumstances, painful relationships that leave us disappointed and discouraged and disheartened, this servant life that we're called to as spirit-filled believers can, at times, put our Christianity to the test. Amen? And just like this young teacher's career's uh, choice was to, to uh, just like this young teacher's career, it was also put to the test when she found herself in unexpected and underwhelming circumstances at this homeless shelter school. So, drawing from her experience and her story, I drew just a few parallels about how we as disciples of Christ can be faithful to our call to serving others, especially through disappointments and difficult times whether it's due to people or to circumstances. I technically have five lessons here. <laughs> um, I wanted to do four, and then I thought, why? Why do we always want an odd number? It's either three or five. One's not enough, so we went with five. Um, as spirit-filled believers, we're not only called to a life of service, this is the first one, through the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit equips us and empowers us to fulfill that to which we're called. In turning, uh, in, uh, the turning point for this disgruntled teacher was she knew who she was and what she was meant to do. She knew she was a teacher, she was trained to be a teacher, and she wanted to be a teacher to students. And she knew that she had been equipped to, to be one. She had done the schooling. She had um, a passion for it. And so her passion and education, she knew she could be, she had, she was equipped to be the teacher she knew she could be. So I like spirit-filled believers. We too are equipped with a new heart and a transformed mind and with a new purpose and mission as his mission to serve this world. It's important that we recognize that we are equipped to serve, not because of our own efforts, amen, but through his spirit. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit equips us individually and as a church with gifts of the spirit like those listed in scripture and many, many more that we don't find listed. 
For what purpose? To serve one another. The gifts that we are given by the Spirit are to be used according to his will and not our own in service to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can, is it up there? Thank you. Help each other. Amen. I do want to add that how we serve others can and will vary throughout a Christian's life of service. Um, but it's all service, correct? <laughs> Number two, service is not only an act, it's an attitude. I've already mentioned this, but one of my favorite parts of the movie is is when this young teacher decides to just stop responding to her circumstances and you know the negative uh, feedback from the people around her. And she started to make the, making the changes that she had control over, which was her classroom that she was assigned to and within herself. She adjusted her attitude. She had resolved to approach her situation and the people in it differently than what she had been doing. She did change her attitude, but that next day, when she showed up to the same makeshift classroom with no school desk, still no school desk there, just because she, you know, waved her wand and said, I'm going to approach this differently, she still showed up to the same classroom with no resources and to the same mouthy and unruly students and to the same apathetic parents. And of course, as the weeks and the months went by, she built up this classroom and its resources and inspired a love for learning and a community in her students and their families. But it all started with this attitude change because serving is an attitude. Paul, speaking to the Galatian church, speaks about serving and the attitude in which we must serve. Galatians 5 and 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Are we truly serving when we're not serving with an attitude of love? It's not hard to go through the motions. It's not hard to be a physical presence somewhere. It's not hard to sit on a pew. Um, but serving with an attitude of love takes intentionality. I liken, I liken this attitude of serving to what Jesus said about how to love people. It's not, in the scriptures, Jesus said it's not difficult to love people who are easy to love. That doesn't challenge us. We exercise our ability to show love when we set ourselves aside and show love to those who aren't easy to love. The same principle applies to serving others. Serving's not difficult when it makes us happy. 
or when we, or, uh, uh, when we um, like who we're serving or where we're serving, or when it goes the way we think it should. So when disappointment surfaces and we become discouraged or we're deeply pained by circumstances in life, what is it that keeps us serving? Number three, despite what we think, serving is not always easy. It's not easy to serve. You have no control what happens, but you just keep serving. Just keep serving. This is a quote from the director of the homeless shelter when this young teacher arrived to the school one day and found a note from one of her students who was missing from the classroom. The note said that her father was moving on and that she was sorry because she would miss school and miss her teacher because she liked it so much. So this young teacher runs to the director to try to get information on how to, how, how to keep in contact with this little girl and how do we get her back? Can't she still come to the school? How can she just leave like that? And the director sympathetically replies to her shock and disappointment with that quote. It's not easy to serve. You, you have no control over what happens. You just keep serving, he said, just keep serving. You know, he had been around a while, and he had seen countless children and families come and go for good reasons, for the wrong reasons, perhaps. But in his wisdom, he encouraged her to just keep serving, even though it's not easy, you just keep serving. The movie kind of begins with this period of burnout for a lot of the, uh, for the teachers that had um, been at this shelter and tried their best, burned out, had what um, counselors call compassion fatigue. And these burnout and compassion fatigue, these are realities that apply to anything that involves working uh, and interfacing with people. Because serving people is a messy business, which I'm sure we've all experienced. We've maybe been the mess. But dealing with people's just not textbook. By the time this young teacher had been assigned to the shelter school, you know, there had been these numerous teachers that were fleeing. At, you know, the, the minute she arrives in the classroom, the teacher's like, whoosh, you know, she's out the door. Uh, you know, you're not going to last long. I mean, no kind words exchanged. You're not going to last long here. Get out of here if you can, you know. Um, so they were fleeing because it wasn't what they expected. It's not what they wanted. Um, and they moved on as quickly as they could. And our, even the scriptures deal with this reality and encourages us with this in Galatians 6 and 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. This principle applies to serving others. Serving is not difficult when it makes us... Uh, I'm sorry. I had, I had to... Um, I had to edit my paper, and I got a little confused. So, excuse me, point four. Point four. Dis disappointments rooted in unmet expectations. <laughs> Dr. Cindy Miller, uh, she said that once in a class I was in. I'm pretty sure it's probably a part of any counseling class, but disappointment is rooted in unmet expectations. This young teacher had lofty ideas of what her teaching career would be like. In one scene in the movie, 
she had had a rough day. She's at home, she's reflecting on, she's laying in bed with her husband and she's like, she's reflecting on this big dreams of what she had in mind. This pretty picture, this is what teaching's supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to feel as a teacher and it's nothing like that. But reality was very different, it was harshly different. And most of her expectations were turned on its head. And she had to work through that shock of what reality really looked like. So likewise, sometimes we can be disappointed with what the reality of serving really looks like and what it really means. It's not easy to serve when we're disappointed or we find ourselves discouraged or when we're hurting. But as disciples of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, whose expectations aren't being met, mine or God's? I, oh, say it again. Whose expectations aren't being met, mine or God's? I like this story because I'm trying. I like this story. I don't know, it's just coming out like, it's, like it is. Um, because she chose, she chose to work through her disappointment and shock rather than walk away from it in search of what she believed teaching should be. So she wasn't running after this, you know, this dream uh, she had or this picture. She decided to just work through it. She could have gone looking for the real classroom with the traditional students, the setting that made her feel good. Many of us here tonight have served for a long time. And I'm sure that every one of us has a story that ends with, well, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> now, never saw myself doing that. That's going too far, right? But we can't define what service for the Lord in his kingdom. It's gonna, we can't define what that looks like. That's not up to us. We know that we are called to serve. We are promised that the Holy Spirit will equip us to, for that service but we can't know exactly what that will require of us. For each of us, the requirement will look different. Yes, scripture says that we all must lay down our cross and pick up Christ, but what may be a great cost for me and what may be a great cost for somebody else, it could be totally different, not the same. So we can't know exactly what the cost of serving means, but what we can know is who we serve is why we serve. Amen. Amen. This young teacher could have also chosen to draw a line. I'm only going to be a teacher if. And she almost did. She was a teacher that was assigned to this non-school, teaching in a room that wasn't a classroom, this you know, school district that refused uh, funding, and it's funny because the school actually was named the school with no name, because it wasn't school, so it had no name. Um, so she had had this decision to make. Would she teach in, in, in what she was in? Would she teach in this circumstance with this population? Or would she draw a line and say, I'm not serving here, and quit? In other words, what, what, when would the cost have been too great for her? And we can ask ourselves the same question in our service in the kingdom. 
Where do we draw a line when it comes to serving others? Did Jesus ever draw a line? Jesus said it like this, we cannot serve two masters. Either we serve him or we serve ourselves and fulfill our own ways, our own interests and ideas. My desire tonight is to live that life that pleases God. Somebody said it. Desi or Stephen said, mentioned the uh, scripture. We want to hear that, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I know that that's your desire too. And how we please him is by doing his will. And his will is that all would come to know him fully. So I want to end. Point number five is to end with this question. What is your why? And that's my title tonight. We can have it up there if we want. What is your why? This human resolve is a powerful thing. When this young woman determined to not let any situation or any one person come between her and her passion for teaching, she was able to make it through the ups and downs of her career. You know, just because she had this attitude change didn't mean it was smooth sailing from there. Um, like I already mentioned, she, parents were still skeptical. There were still problem students she uh, you know, met in the classroom every single morning. She still had years in front of her battling with the school district to provide them the resources they needed. But she kept her focus on this why, is what I'm calling it, that thing that helped her continue serving through these tough times, through the disappointments, and through discouragement. But she had to ask an answer for herself. Why continue to teach here? And she answered her own question with deciding to be the teacher that she knew she was no matter what. Do we as Christians know our why? Again, it's not necessarily that I'm asking us to think about why serve. But I'm asking us to think about why keep serving. What's your why? For serving unconditionally? Why do we keep serving in the face of disappointments, discouraging, discouragement, pain, heartbreak, those unexpected and unanticipated times in life? Desi also mentioned the small group of the Tetralts today and their um, response and care to the Tetrault family so quickly this afternoon, so immediately. Um, we see kind of some of these points of my sermon already being played out in our church body when we received that uh, text from our executive pastor that the Tetrault small group this afternoon reported they were already on their way in transit bringing food to the family so they could have a meal tonight and not have to worry about that. I know that in the sermon tonight, I focus more on serving through disappointing circumstances and you know, difficult people and people who aren't uh, easy to serve. But it can be just as difficult to serve through painful times in life. And just appreciate the example of the Tetralt small group of what serving through painful times is all about. You just keep serving. So what is your why? I'm going to share mine. It comes from Colossians 3, 23 through 24. 
Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. I want to end, this is all I have really tonight, and I want to end and ask us, I wanted to have a Rachel ending sermon, but I forgot. (laughs) I forgot that's what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to hand out index cards and pencils or pens and just have us take a moment. You know, I had the scripture Colossians. This scripture helps me. I remember in high school, well, actually, no, after high school, when I had friends or, you know, family, uh, friends of family members graduating high school, I would write this um, scripture from Colossians in the little congratulation cards. Because for me, it's a grounding scripture. That's what your why is. I didn't mention that. But it's something that grounds you when you're just tempted to just say, isn't there just somebody else I can serve, right? Isn't there just somewhere else I can serve? Um, Should I continue serving at all? Is the cost worth it? And these things ground us. It might be a person's example in your life. It might be a, a scripture like I shared. But I wanted us to be able to kind of write that down and take it with us, but we're just going to have to reflect in our minds because I guess that wasn't meant to happen because I forgot. But I want us to think about that. And I don't know if it's appropriate now for us to just take a couple moments of quiet reflection um, and think about this personal why. why. It's not why we serve because everyone can say, well, the Bible says Jesus Jesus says we should, should serve one another. It, Jesus is the perfect example of serving, and he is. But it's, it's, that's kind of removed from this personal point. Why keep serving in the midst of um, difficult times when it's not easy to serve? Why do we keep serving? What makes us push through? Um, because that helps us and it helps others. When we're able to push through and somebody says, thank you for being there, so many people fell off the bandwagon. It was too much. You just appreciate those who can stay uh, present in your life. So I'm going to leave it at that. If Pastor Stephen wants to come and put a bow on things, he can. But I wanted to end with a little bit of reflection and thinking about that why.